Let's pray together. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love, and thank you for your word and the stories that have gone before us. And may our hearts be open to the story and open to not just the story, but to the spirit that the story comes to us. We love you, and we commit this to you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, you'll hear different versions of the story of Jesus' resurrection, depending on the gospel that you're reading. In the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will all have Mary coming as a team of women coming to the tomb, and then they see, and then they run, and then they don't, the disciples don't believe them, and they come back, but... In the Gospel of John, which is the text that we're going to use today, it's very different. It, John focuses only on Mary, and he has only Mary coming to the tomb. And he has Mary coming to the tomb in the dark. Now, what does that mean? In the dark, in John, John uses dark and light all the time. And he uses it to let you know that it's about not believing, not understanding. So when it says Mary came and it was still dark, what it's trying to say is when Mary came, she didn't believe that Jesus would be risen. She didn't believe yet. So she came while it was still dark. But you know, before the Bible stories became Bible stories, they were lived stories by real people. They were experiences that, were, that happened about the activity of God in people's lives. And it's really quite incredible how it came together to be a Bible. Because it started out as a story told around the campfire together. Well, did you know it said that, well, my great uncle, 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 uncle Liam said, and then it began to coalesce into a, a, a practice they began to remember together as a community. And that community began to practice their memories of God and the way God came into their lives and the way God came into Jesus and, came, and Jesus came into our life. And then soon, those stories over, not soon, but thousands of years of practice began to be written down. And then people began to be able to read. And then they formed communities. And those were churches. And they had this written text. More than the first five books of the Bible. More than the Torah. Which is all they had for many years. It began to be not just a word experienced. But it began to be a written word. Now, if we, if we don't remember that these were stories by real people, about things that happened to them, how they experienced God, that they were shared around the family table and then around the campfire and then in the community. If we forget that, then, then we are forgetting that these stories of struggle and faith, of slavery and freedom and love and hate and war and peace, that these stories about origins and traditions about ultimate love and about betrayal, if we forget that these were stories about real people, then we can lose somewhat the smell of the old world and the smell of the real world. 
And just like those disciples running to the tomb, sweating on their way because they had this silly foot race between one another, who's going to get there first? The dust of ancient walking paths are settled all of a sudden if we don't remember. And the sweat of an early morning run evaporates before we can cling to it. And all of a sudden, it's a story about something far away that happened long ago that has no relevance for us today. If we forget the people, and worse than that, I think, worse than the stories becoming irrelevant and cold, the message of the story becomes irrelevant and cold. If we think that this message somehow was found carved into a piece of stone or handed down without the people breathing and living into it, then it loses some of its warmth and some of its humanity. And these stories are about human beings in in an experience with God. I think it's kind of amazing that in John, this narrative seems to be in two separate stories. If you, look, if you listen to the um, reading this morning, the announcement, there's like two stories happening. You have the stories of the two guys, the men, who are running as fast as they can to the tomb. Then they see, they look in, they see the tomb, they see the clothes, and then they go home. And then the story continues. Then we have the story of Mary and her encounter with Jesus. So we have these two stories that sit within each other, and it's kind of curious, but in a way, these two stories sitting within one another is it's wonderful because it's an encounter with the resurrection, and it reminds me that resurrection is encountered very differently by different people. Different people have a different experience of the resurrection, And it's important to remember that everyone's experience is unique to them because God has spoken to them in a unique way as well. Perhaps it's a reminder that it's music in different keys that they're hearing. The disciples heard one story and had another set of expectations, and they turned around and went home. But Mary sat devastated at at the tomb, devastated. The text is actually very powerful in what it has to say to us. And it calls us to be particular people of a particular kind who see the world in a particular way. You know, when I was in sixth grade, I can remember my mom forever, years and years, I would just be up to the television set about this far away. And yes, there were television sets in those days, um, but no color. And so I would stand in front of it, and my mother was forever saying, Janice, sit down. Janice, move. And then I just noticed my grandchildren are with me this weekend, and Briella, my uh, oldest, stands in front of the TV, and I hear my daughter Sarah going, Briella, move. Briella, move. And I can hear my own experience back, and I think... But, but also, in the teachers noticed that even though I would sit in the front row all the time, and I am a front row person, mainly because I'm five feet tall, but also, I couldn't see. So I would sit in front like this. And so everyone put it together. So in sixth grade, they took me to the, to the ophthalmologist, tested my eyes, could see that I was partial, you know, practically blind. And I got the coolest cat eye glasses you've ever seen. I mean, they were like this. 
And I thought they were the coolest things ever. And what I learned on that day was that it makes a big difference when you can see. It really makes a big difference when you have eyes to see. It changed everything because seeing matters. You know, resurrection is a kind of cure of the myopia of our eyes. It's a myopia of the soul. Resurrection, it shouts at us, hey, nothing can overcome you. Nothing can put you down. Nothing can keep you back. It's, it's all been done. It's overcome. Nothing can separate you from your inheritance with God. But it's only with glasses that, uh, of the resurrection that you put on that corrects your marred vision that also allows you to see a new vision of who you are and who your neighbor is, no matter what that neighbor looks like, no matter what color of skin or ethnicity or, or uh, uh, gender or uh, any other thing that separates you from another person. It allows you to see a corrective vision of them because all of a sudden you can see them and you see yourself. And maybe if you look pretty closely, you can see Christ as well. Or perhaps it's more like the magic eyes. Do you guys remember the magic eyes a few years back? It was a big fad where you had these things that, and people kept saying, if you, if you look at them close up and then you take them back, it was just all these dots. And, and personally, all I could see were like a wavy line. I'd say, I see a wavy line. And another person would say to me, really? That's great. I actually see a hippopotamus on a unicycle with 200 dolphins jumping a rainbow. And I'm like, oh, I, well, I see the lines, you know. But we may know that there uh, are different things to see, and for those who have eyes to see, there's more to see. I wish I could have seen that hippopotamus riding the unicycle, seeing the 200 dolphins jumping over the waves, but I have seen the risen Christ. I hope you have too. We know that there is always so much more for us to see, and we know that the resurrection... The resurrection sometimes is a struggle to believe. Sometimes it's a struggle to see it. But we know that we can see it, but sometimes our tendency is to put it in the past, to put it like it doesn't exist in our lives anymore, that maybe it's something long ago and far away, like we were talking about before, because we forgot. We forgot that it was a story by people about something that happened to them, and about something now that can happen to us. At the, it's, we put it far away, and at the same time, we put far away, and we're not able to see the resurrection that happens in our own life. Because resurrection does happen in our life. When does it happen? Sometimes it happens when, against the odds, when your spirit is absolutely crushed, your spirit rises up out of the ashes, and you have hope, that's experiencing resurrection. Or we're able to get up just one more day because today, maybe, just maybe, just maybe. It's as if we are Mary in the garden. 
And, and she's staring right at Jesus, but who does she see? She doesn't see the resurrected Christ. She sees a gardener. She's not looking for Christ. She's not looking for that resurrection. She's looking for the body so she can take care of the body. But maybe this account of what happens will not just be a story about long ago, but maybe it will challenge us today. Maybe it will challenge you and I to look at the resurrected Christ. He's not here. Why are you looking for him? And maybe also it will cause us to look at the, only, at the resurrection that has come about in our own lives. When has Jesus resurrected you? When has your spirit been broken and you have been lifted up? It happens. And now you have a resurrection story to tell another. That's how it happens. Through the corrective lens of resurrection faith, we can see why it's true that when Jesus tells us to leave behind the things that hold us captive, you're not a slave anymore, Jesus says. You're free. When Jesus says to love our neighbor, to pray for our enemies, when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, and, and Jesus says, do all of that so you can follow me, maybe when we realize that Jesus says all that because when we understand that that's the story, that's the path to life, that's our own lives being resurrected. Resurrection corrects our vision of ourselves and our communities and our neighbors. And it also corrects our understanding of our own connection to God. That we have a forever connection to God. So John turns to the arrival of Mary Magdalene at the tomb on a Sunday morning. And you can just feel that this story, this particular story, is a visceral story, unlike the other Gospels. They don't spend much time on the woman. They don't really even talk about the women. But this one is visceral. It's emotional. And it's deeply, deeply personal. There's only two people in the garden. There's only two people. And it reflects to us maybe a little bit of the way we want our relationship with God to be. That what we would like is to be known by God the way that Jesus knew Mary. And maybe we would like to be held in God's gaze the way Jesus looked at Mary as she was looking at him. That's what we would like. You know, this longing isn't in general. It's not a, a longing where we just would like God to remember us in general. Like God remembers the stars and the, and the galaxies and the worlds. No, we don't want a general cosmic God. We want a, a God that is intimate and far-reaching into the very deepest parts of ourselves. And we want a God that reaches in and knows our bodies and our histories and our dreams and our losses. And when Jesus says, Mary, John's gospel tells us that by, her speak by Jesus speaking Mary's name, Christ is made known to her. So when Christ speaks your name. Christ is made known to you. This story tells us that when God comes to us in this deeply personal way, invoked by the speaking of our name, when we know that we've been heard in the silence, 
the invitation to follow and to be sent, that that experience, when we know that, that experience becomes embodied. It's no longer just theoretical. It's not in our heads. It becomes a part of our body. And it's physical. As much as it is cognitive and ideational, it's a physical thing. That's why our bodies can't be contained with the holy. We have to move. We have to lift. We have to sing and shout and stomp our feet. I saw a little girl over here when we were singing, Oh, Happy Day. I wanted to just go stand next to her because she was jumping like this. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. And I was going, Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Because I'm not cool. So, but oh, doesn't it feel good to just your, let your spirit jump and be happy and rejoice? Jesus comes to us in a real and personal way. Jesus doesn't come to us in a general way or as a, in a ghostly imagination, but as a presence that reaches beyond our kind of overt powers of knowing. We can't know it. It's mystery. But touches in our, li- our lives in a way that we cannot see, but we do see it. And we experience it even though we can't know it. It takes over. And then once Jesus has Mary's attention, of course, what's her first inclination is to reach out and touch him. And in essence, the scripture says, and he says, no, don't touch me. I have to go to the Father. And what he's really saying is, Mary, we can't go back to the way it was. Neither of us are the same anymore. You're different. I'm different. And it's going to be different from now on. But it's going to be quite wonderful. Quite beautiful. This is resurrection after all. Then Jesus has Mary's attention. And he says, don't hold on to me. And then he says to her, go and tell my brothers who left right away, by the way. And tell them. Go to my brothers and tell them. So then I say to you, you, listen. You who come to these Easter service on this morning, you who come to see the stone that's rolled away, and you who come to hear the trumpets and to hear the message and to see the balloons and to celebrate and to hear the report of the angels, all of you who come on Easter, then go. Go to the people and tell them that hope is not dead, but hope is alive. And it's running free in the streets. Share that the future is held in the arms of the one who cherishes you so much that Jesus would gladly go to the cross. Hang on the cross and with dying words say, forgive them so that the story would not be over. But the story would just be beginning for us. You, you who come on Easter morning, be a light that shines in the darkness for other people. Enough light, maybe not for the whole room, but enough light for the next step, maybe. Enough light to blind whatever oppresses them. Enough light to blind a predator, to blind their thief of joy. So that's how the word spreads, just like Mary did. Go and tell your brothers. And and so she went and she told the disciples. And Mary Magdalene 
this woman who in the beginning was the woman with seven demon sins, it says in the Bible. She had a lot of garbage going on. This woman who had followed Jesus from the time he had healed her to this moment, this woman goes and says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. You know what? This is the first sermon. This is the first sermon. And guess what? It's delivered by a woman. Now, you've got to love that. You have to love it. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's delivered by the most unlikely person in the room. It's delivered by a woman, the first sermon. She saw and she believed and she announced and she didn't require to be ordained. She didn't need a special preaching certificate. She required only a word from Jesus, Mary. And when she heard that word, she went and she told. Here's the message for us. Christ is risen. Now you go tell someone. Amen. Let's pray. Wonderful God, we thank you that we have a message of such joy, of such truth that you lift our spirits even when we are in the corner, when things seem the darkest, there's a sliver of light that keeps prying the door and the window open wider and wider, and it's you. God, we can only pray today that we have heard and we believe let us take our belief to the streets, not in some awkward conversation, but in a conversation of love, a conversation of acceptance, a conversation of friendship. These things we ask because we know that it is your desire for this world to reflect your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of our living Savior, Jesus, I pray. Amen.